Hello, and welcome to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger, and this podcast is a project of CNG Partners, Design for Culture. Today, I am doing a solo episode about Latch, the five ways to organize exhibitions. We always start with a quick bio, so here we go. I am the managing partner of CNG Partners, a design firm in New York City working with cultural clients. I was taught architecture and graphic design during the day and did theater and music at night, but I never thought I could do all of that at the same time for a living. Like every guest on this show so far, I got into the field accidentally. In fact, the field sort of found me, but that's another story. I've been writing about this topic of Latch in the newsletter companion to this podcast, which is also called Making the Museum. And last week, I wrote a piece about the Latch subtypes for time. A few months before that, I wrote a piece introducing the whole idea to this community or to this group of listeners. Y'all, there was a lot of reaction from that, enough to warrant doing an episode of the podcast just dedicated to the subject alone. We have eight points to go over, and stay tuned to the very end, because number seven might surprise you. And number eight is where you get your turn. Okay, so let's jump right into Latch, five ways to organize exhibitions. Number one, define the term. Richard Saul Werman is a famous and unique and influential author and a thinker and a sort of an impresario. And I say impresario because he is uh, the founder of TED, as in the TED Lecture Series. He's also a fellow of the AIA, the American Institute of Architects, and he's also a fellow of the World Economic Forum in Davos. He has many fellows. I don't think there are many people who are fellows of both of those two fellowy things, but he is. And in 1989, he published an influential book called Information Anxiety, where he first revealed this idea that we're going to talk about today. In that book, he wrote that you can organize any kind of information, like the content of an exhibition, in five ways, and five ways only. The idea was that any form of information organization was one of these five types or ideas or approaches, or it was a subtype of one of them, and that there aren't any others. This five, There's these five, or there's... forget about it. To make it easy to remember, he called this uh, mental model, or this framework, LATCH. L-A-T-C-H. Each letter in that word, and by the way, that word has nothing to do, I don't think, with any of the ideas in this framework, but uh, it's a mnemonic. So each letter stands for something, and we'll go over what those somethings are, and then apply it to what we do here uh, in this show and in this field. And in the end, let's see if we agree with them. We'll test out a few candidates for additions to Latch and ask whether Werman left out any ideas. We'll see more about that in number seven. Number two, what each letter means. Okay, here are the basics. Latch 
five-letter word, L-A-T-C-H. Each letter means something. L is for location, organizing by location, any kind of information. You can organize any kind of information by method one, location. A is for alphabet, organizing information alphabetically. T is for time, organizing information temporally or chronologically. C is for uh, category, <clears throat> organizing information uh, categorically. H is for hierarchy, organizing information hierarchical. Actually, Werman had <clears throat> talked about this uh, uh, framework before, and he had that, that last letter, uh, hierarchy, was a C, uh, continuum. So it was actually hierarchy, a.k.a. continuum. But L-A-T-C-C is latkaka, and that, I guess, didn't fly as well. So we have hierarchy. And we'll explain all those in just a minute. But that's latch, L-A-T-C-H. Number three, examples. Let's look at some examples of each of the five. This is going to be the longest section of this podcast. L for location. That's by where. Where in the world, where in a region, where on your campus, where in your body is the thing. So maps, building directories, and wine stores actually are all organized by location. And here are some exhibition examples of L for location. Uh, regions of the ancient world, like Ur, Mesopotamia, or Egypt, you could do uh, an exhibit of antiquities or of uh, objects or of art from the ancient world, and you could organize it by region. Another one might be uh, in an astronomy or a science uh, museum, you could uh, exhibit uh, images or scientific findings in orbital order from the sun. It's in in, in orbital rings. So my very excellent mother just served us nine pies. Okay, um, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, us nine pies. Uh, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. Everyone in the universe but me thinks Pluto is not a planet anymore, but Pluto, you'll always have a place in my heart. And a third one here under location might be, for example, uh, by height zone in the rainforest, from the rainforest floor or below the ground all the way up to the canopy. So uh, in a natural science museum, we could have an exhibit based on where uh, up a tree um, an animal or a plant might be found. You'd have, uh, I don't know, like uh, capybaras down at the bottom, and you'd have tree frogs uh, in the middle, and you'd have butterflies at the top, and Above that, you'd have a scientist in a hot air balloon or something. The next one is A for alphabet. So alphabetical order is used when there's a lot of data and the data is made out of words or words are the way that the data is organized. So this obviously relies on information being in words written with letters that use a common alphabet. And uh, alphabetical is sometimes used to eliminate the appearance of favoritism. Uh, you know, if you're going to do, like, say, an, an art exhibit uh, or an art gallery show or sell art, you might just uh, alphabetize the artist. So 
doesn't look like you're putting one uh, more on a pedestal than another. Uh, so in real life, address books, dictionaries, and in indexes, indices, anyway, that thing at the back of a book, those are all alphabetical. So here are some exhibition examples of A for alphabet. You could, in a history museum, or a museum or an exhibit about Native American culture, you could have a whole exhibit about Native American words used in the English language that we use today in the English language more broadly. Like, I guess in alphabetical order, you could do moccasin, and then you could do powwow, and then you could be, then you could do tomahawk. Uh, so those would be Native American words that would be used in English. Another example uh, might be baseball uniforms uh, organized by the names on the back of them in a museum dedicated to a particular baseball team. Or you could have uh, this year's inductees to the Hall of Fame uh, in for music could be, could be done and probably would be done, actually alphabetical by uh, last name. I don't know whether Lady Gaga would be under L or under G, but I don't know. We'd figure it out. T for time. And that means organizing by chronology, by seconds and minutes and hours and years and eras. So um, life itself is chronological, right? And uh, so is this podcast in one sense. You may be thinking, when is the chronology of this particular episode going to be over? Uh, don't worry, it will be over soon. <laughs> Feature films and fiction novels are usually also organized chronologically. Not always, but almost all the time. And by the way, we'll come back to some examples of subtypes of this one, T for time, in a short time. See what I did there? Here are some exhibition examples of T for time. Uh, you could do in uh, an art museum or an art exhibition in another kind of museum, the life work of one artist over time. You could first show or uh, first uh, display her humble very first sketch, and you could go through an entire career to get to her last most profound masterpiece before she uh, hung up her paintbrush. You could, in a, let's say, a large library in a western town. You could have an exhibit uh, that would be a timeline of literary cowboys. Why not? Uh, or here's a third example. You could do um, a century of mops. A century of mops. I, I don't know where that one came from. Okay, C for category. That's the C in Lash for category, and category means categorical by shared similarity of properties or attributes, and that could be things that are similar in size or similar in color, all the pink things, or similar in flavor, all the spicy things, or similarity of origin. So, uh, for example, dog shows and grocery stores are both organized by category. Uh, all the dairy stuff is over there, and all the produce is over there, and all the Newfoundlanders are over there, and all of the uh, French bulldogs are over there. Here are some exhibition examples uh, that you might have for organization by category. 
in a natural history um, museum or, or exhibition, you could organize your skeletons by phylum or by kingdom uh, or by class. In an art museum, you could organize your sculptors by medium. If you had a sort of a group show, you wanted to show a diverse set of sculptors, you could have all of your sculptors in marble over there. You could have your sculptors that mostly worked in bronze over here, and you could have your sculptors who work in the medium of dead shark in formaldehyde way over there. Uh, and here's, here's a third example, uh, musicians by instrument. If you have a, a music uh, uh, exhibit or a music museum or a musical instrument museum or collection, uh, you could have, uh, you could have uh, violin uh, musicians uh, chronicled in this area. You could have cellists in this area. You could have viola players over here. I, I, I wrote in my outline, make viola joke. Uh, okay, I'm not going to make viola joke. And last, we have H for hierarchy a.k.a. continuum. And a hierarchy is, a, is an interesting one. That, I think, is my favorite one. This is when you organize by rank or importance along a common measure. So that would be order of increasing size or uh, organizing things in a, in a line by order of decreasing duration of an effect or order of increasing cost, uh, like in uh, e-commerce or in uh, descending order of priority, like a to-do list, uh, might be ranked that way. So what things are ranked in normal life this way? College rankings are ranked that way, except there are 41 colleges tied for number two for some reason. Um, restaurant reviews are ranked that way. You have your five stars and you have your one stars. Uh, everything for some reason is 4.3 stars. I don't know why that's true. Uh, and of course, marathon results are also uh, organized by hierarchy, uh, otherwise known as continuum. Except, of course, for my marathon results, uh, because that would just be did not finish marathon. So here are some exhibition examples of organization by hierarchy, uh, some made up ones. You could, in a museum or in a zoo, in an aviary, you could organize an exhibit about birds from small to large. Birds, as a group, are very dimorphic. The littlest birds are very little compared to the biggest birds. Hummingbirds and, and ostriches, or back in the day, I guess, dodos or elephant birds, when we had those around. A uh, second uh, possibility, a second random example would be in an air and space museum or an aeronautical museum or possibly a military museum, you could organize your rockets or stories about rockets by short-range rockets to long-range rockets. Now, probably also happen to be short rockets to long rockets, I guess. I don't know. This podcast is not rocket science. So uh, the third uh, random one here that I just made up could be in a, uh, in a museum about, let's say, the Grammy Museum or a museum about uh, music. Uh, you could organize stories of songs uh, or songwriters or performers by the number of weeks that their hit song had at number one on the charts. Let me do a quick station identification. If you're just joining, you're listening to Making the Museum. 
I'm Jonathan Alger, and this podcast is a project of CNG Partners designed for culture. If you find this show valuable, please help spread the word to others who might as well. You can rate this show in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also write a review in your Apple Podcast app, a quick review, or you can just tell a friend. Grazie mille for helping to spread the word about making the museum. Now back to the show. We're talking about Latch, the five ways to organize exhibitions. And next up, number four. Number four, subtypes. So each of these five latchy things do not only have examples like the one we talked about before the break in number three, they also each have subtypes. They could have a lot of subtypes actually. So let's just take a look at one of the five latch uh, types and expand it with some subtypes that fall under it. And I won't go into every letter here, don't worry. If you'd like some homework, try researching and creating a list of subtypes for yourself once you've narrowed down which major type you'll use for your next exhibition. If you do the homework, you will get an A. Also, if you do not do the homework, you will get an A. Be mindful of which path you take there. So here's a topic I recently wrote about in the one-minute newsletter companion to this podcast, uh, and that topic was Five Twists on Chronology. Chronology, T for time, is a common uh, exhibition structure. But there are more twists on that than you might think. Subtype A is linear chronology. And that means events in the exhibition are exhibited in the order that they actually occurred. You could have a flashback or two for clarity, more on that in just a minute. But otherwise, this is a classic. World history textbooks are organized as linear chronology. Uh, linear chronology does not mean that you wouldn't have gaps. There could be, if you're doing a timeline of the universe, there's a lot of exciting stuff in the first second, and then there's about a billion years before something interesting happens, so you might treat that as a gap. Uh, subtype B is real-time chronology. That is pretty rare. It's a sort of a close cousin to linear, and we might be familiar with that from serial TV. There's a uh, famous old uh, broadcast TV series that is in reruns called 24. And that was a thriller that was filmed and edited and written to feel to the viewer like it was taking place over the same amount of time as the hero was going through what he was going through. He, he basically had a, the worst 24 hours of his life. So that one uh, basically evokes real life. And you can also do that in an exhibition. For example, you could have a section of a show that's about a, a tragic event or a famous uh, battle or an attack uh, that chronicles that event in uh, by orders of minutes and does so in such a way that the visitor to the exhibition could consume that information in the same amount of time at the same pace giving them the feeling that they're they're living through it. And this is has actually been done, and it works pretty well. Uh, subtype C is reverse chronology. That's just what it sounds like. That's events displayed backwards in order from the order of actual occurrence for a specific purpose. Another famous example from 
film and TV there. There was a, a movie a generation ago called Memento. That was a, a very experimental movie, but it had a lot of box office and critical success. That movie was filmed in whatever order you film a movie, but it was edited and presented backwards. Actually, it wasn't completely backwards. In other words, the actors weren't talking backwards. It was a series of scenes that were filmed forwards, but those were chopped up into short scenes that were then sequenced backwards. Uh, subtype D is fractured chronology, otherwise known as nonlinear. And in that one, the, uh, the exhibition would move back and forth frequently between the past and the present and the future. And there, the narrative is not the same as the actual sequence of events at all. It is, but it's kind of cut up and presented differently. So another classic cinema example of that would be many films by Quentin Tarantino. For example, the, the classic Pulp Fiction shot, again, however you, you shoot a film, but it's presented in a, uh, in a fractured way. And it's actually the audience's job to try to figure out uh, what is going on. And it's uh, this way of presenting chronology is requires an audience to be very active, to actually assemble the story in their own minds. That makes it an interesting choice for exhibitions where we want brains to be on. Uh, fracture chronology, nonlinear chronology, uh, can only occur because of two techniques that are used to generate it. And those are flashbacks, that's D1, flashback. And that's one of the two techniques that makes nonlinear or fractured uh, chronological storytelling. That's a jump backwards in time to make a point without disrupting the overall flow. From there, you could jump back into the main timeline or not. And the other one, of course, you might be expecting this, is the flash forward. There's flashbacks, there's also flash forward. So you can jump into the future and, and show what's going to happen. Two people are considering getting married in this scene, and one of them sort of flashes forward to 20 years from now, imagines what being married to this person is, and decides whether to do it or not. And then last but not least is one of the most famous subtypes of T for time, chronology of them all, and that is framed chronology. That's a very fancy word for something we've seen a million times. That's, that's a fancy word for story within a story. In a framed chronology, really the whole story, all of the information, is one big chronological flashback, one big story. Almost the entire story is one linear chronology piece, but it's presented as a flashback in the middle of the experience. And you have something at the beginning and the end that introduces that experience, often a narrator or an event that happens. And then you actually flash back immediately and the rest of the story is catching up with the present. That's a story within a story. So the upshot of all of these subtypes is that basically chronology, T for time, one of the five latch approaches, is quite common. But there are twists in the form of subtypes. Number five, combinations. We're on number five of our list of eight. The point of this one is, of course, that no one is saying uh, you can only use one method at a time. In fact, combinations are probably more common than simple, straight-up, pure um, one type. A streaming music app might be first organized by genre, like K-pop, Jazz, death metal. That is, by the way, three genres, not one genre. 
that organization by genre is really organization by category. And then uh, within that, you might have your streaming music app organizing music alphabetically by performer's name. L for Lady and G for Gaga. Also, a family tree is a combination. It's hierarchical because there is a continuum over time. But it's also linear chronological in sort of in parallel. And that is simply uh, because in a family tree, no one on the tree can be born until at least their mother is. I think that's still, yes, regardless of scientific advancement and the state of CRISPR, uh, I think that is still true. No one can be born until their mother is. Glad we settled that. The periodic table of the elements is also a combination. The left-right top-down order of that kind of crazy-looking grid is by increasing number of protons. And the rows are each a category with the same electron ground state energy level, and the columns are each a category with the same electron valence, which is totally cool. Uh, here are some combination examples for exhibitions. You could do the art of the world sorted into country galleries, which is location, and then within that be alphabetical by artist. Or you could do the history of a dramatic time period as a linear chronology, but do subsections thematically. And thematical, thematical, thematic means categorical by similar theme. And many, many histories of it actually are exactly that combination I just described. You could do another exhibition about birds. We should have many exhibitions about birds, clearly, with one section organized by region, and that would be L for location, another section of the exhibition by size, that, that would be H for hierarchy, uh, another by habitat type, which would be C for categorical, and another by level of endangerment, which would be H for hierarchical, the, the fewer birds in a species, the more endangered they are, and you can express that along a continuum, unfortunately. Those are all combinations. Sometimes you might have an idea, but it doesn't feel quite right, you know, for an exhibition. And so maybe what we're finding out is because the latch types you're working with aren't quite the right fit, or maybe you're combining types in an awkward way or repeating combinations, but you didn't know why. So maybe now... Maybe now you will know. Number six out of eight, testing other approaches. Let's see if we can find some ideas of organizing principles outside of Latch completely. I'll pull out a couple projects I've led the design for. One I just led the design for at the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian in New York City. Organized stories of native people in New York State by stops along a sort of made-up statewide trail. Now, that's a pretty novel approach. You don't often get exhibitions organized by a made-up trail through a state. But while that is novel, it's not outside of Latch. It's actually a combination. It combines L for location, that's the stops, which have physical coordinates, and H for hierarchy, which is the continuum of progress along the trail from one stop to the other in a particular order. That's a combination. Let's see, another project I led the design for was a collection of rare costumes 
from uh, Star Wars. And that was for Smithsonian Institution Traveling Exhibition Services and uh, George Lucas's organization and Running Subway. And we organized that as a series of dramatic galleries, each with a made-up scene featuring costumes posed together that would often never have been in a scene together. So there were a villain's one and a hero's one and a senator's one and a princess's gowns one. But actually, while doing it that way wasn't something anyone else had done yet with that material, that wasn't actually outside of Latch. That was also... That was also, actually, I think that was just one style. That was just categorical. It wasn't even a combination, except there was one gallery within that that just had the princess's funeral boat. What is the organizing principle of a gallery with only one thing in it? Hmm. And another project I led the design for was Jefferson's Library at the Library of Congress, uh, which is there now. Spiral of books in a in a giant glass case, uh, a lot of them. And it was organized around Jefferson's unique way of organizing. He, he used the principles of Lord Bacon and organized by memory and reason and imagination and not by the Dewey Decimal System. And that certainly was unique, but it's not outside of Latch. Uh, that's really categorical. It's out of the ordinary categories, but it's still categorical. And also Jefferson has some chronology there as well within those categories. So all three of those are novel ideas, but there's nothing there that's actually outside of Latch. But just wait. Number seven, two more types, question mark. So it's ironic that this is point number seven, because if there are two more, that would take the list of five from Latch and turn it into a list of seven. So did I plan this all along? I'll never tell. Nathan Shedroff, who is a little bit like Richard Saul Werman. He's also a designer and an entrepreneur and an author. Uh, he is good at, at many things. He may be a fellow of many things, too. He may also be many fellows. I do not know. He added two more to Werman's list. One of those is totally unexpected. This one totally didn't occur to me, and I'm feeling a little dumb that it didn't occur to me. Uh, but the other one I'm kind of scratching my head about. Let's see what you think. The unexpected one is, drum roll, random. I mean, it's not that his approach is random. I'm not trying to be judgmental about it. I mean, the name of the approach is actually random. In other words, no organization. And that's actually a valid method. Uh, so imagine a deck of playing cards thrown in the air. That's, and they fall on the ground, and that's just random. And there's actually a use case for this. So imagine an exhibition about immigration with a jumbled pile of old suitcases. I'm sure we've all actually seen that exhibit uh, at least once. Or uh, an interactive game that you play inside an exhibition where you sort things like uh, recycling against the clock, uh, but they start out completely unsorted. That's actually another exhibit I've worked on the design for. Uh, but you you have to have things be... Uh, random at first in order to make them into some kind of organization. So that means that random organization is actually a valid form of organization. Random, like any Rubik's Cube that I own, because I have totally forgotten how to solve them. But the other uh, the other idea that 
Shedroff proposed is drumroll numeric, which seems like a giant missing element of latch at first, but then maybe you think, wait, aren't numbers in a sequential order? And therefore, numerical is just a subset of hierarchical? Anyway, at this point, my brain kind of overheats, and so I'm not going to think about this anymore at all whatsoever until we get to number eight. Number eight, audience participation. So here's your part of all this. Do you think you have a viable method of organizing the information in an exhibition that doesn't fall into latch? Or maybe latcher, or lat latchern. How do we get random and numerical in latchern? This is not working. Uh, what do you think of these additions of, of random and numerical? Do they feel right? Do they feel off? LMK. Let me know. Just go to makingthemuseum.com and hit the big contact button at the top. Or, if you're a subscriber, hit reply to any email and LMK. Quick recap. This was our list for today. Number one, define the term. Number two, what each letter means. Number three, examples. Number four, subtypes. Number five, combinations. Number six, testing other approaches. Number seven, two more types. And number eight, audience participation. Don't forget number eight. I think we covered it. And thank you so much for the time you gave me. I hope this gave you, in exchange, some news you can use. If you would like to get in touch with me, one way is at makingthemuseum.com. Just hit that big contact tab at the top or in the menu. You can also find me on LinkedIn under my name, Jonathan Alger. I'm always looking out for new links in, new link-ins, new in-links, link, right. You can also find me at the website of CNG Partners, Design for Culture, and that is cgpartnersllc.com. C is in Charlie, G is in Gary, partners with an S, llc.com. Okay, that's it for this episode. By the way, did you know this podcast has an older sister? It's a daily one-minute read newsletter every weekday under the same name. One quick tip a day on strategy and planning for museum leaders, exhibition teams, and visitor experience pros. Learn more and subscribe at makingthemuseum.com. Big subscribe button in the menu at the top. Meanwhile, I'm Jonathan Alger, and I hope you'll join me next time for Making the Museum. Bye for now.